0: Today seems to have the same kind of problem, so just bear with us as we suffer for the kingdom. And uh, how about let's just uh, start off with a word of prayer. Let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for in your grace and mercy gathering us together again, Lord, to open up our Bibles and to look at your word, Lord, and to learn more about you and to dive even deeper, Lord, into this great salvation that you have provided for us, God. Um, We thank you, God, that you have called us out of the perishing many, Lord, and you have given us this grace, a grace that we have yet to fully um, understand and be fully thankful for. God, may you use everything that we learn in our Sunday schools and in our sermons, Lord, to help us, to stir us up, to understand the greatness of our salvation, more so that we will praise you more and live lives more worthy of those who have been called by you. So God, help us in this. Bless our time now. May your spirit bless everything that's done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, for those of you who were here last week, we began um, sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification, and studying this aspect of the Ordo Salutis. Uh, We've been going through the Ordo Salutis here in Sunday School. The Ordo Ordo Salutis just simply meaning the order of salvation. And so as we're studying the Ordo Salutis, we're just studying um, really all the the temporal and logical steps that God takes us through in our salvation. Um, That that salvation that began actually, um, conceptually in the mind of God, the Bible tells us, before the foundation of the world. Can somebody just quickly recall for us what, what are the steps of our salvation that actually um, were, were begun by God um, as part of what we would say is the covenant of redemption, this decision that God made amongst the Trinity to save. What were the aspects of our salvation that actually began there before creation? Can you recall some of those? Election. Yes, sir. Election is part of that. God's choosing of us. Um, Out of the many to be saved. What other aspects did we bring up? Yes, ma'am. God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowing of us. God's deciding to enter into a a loving relationship with us. That's right. There was one more word that we we associated with this decision of God to save. Anybody remember? Yes, ma'am. Predestination. Yeah, the Bible explicitly says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's actually what we're looking at now is uh, sanctification, our becoming like Christ. That's something God decided to do for us before the foundation of the world, amazing enough. So all of that decision-making by the Trinity was done before creation. Now, in time and space, because God has decided to save us, um, He acts in time and brings salvation effectually to us. And He does that by effectually calling us through the preaching of the Gospel. God calls those effectually... um, Through the preaching of the gospel, those who he chose before the foundation of the world, he brings the gospel to them and calls them to himself. And as he does that in the preaching of the gospel, um, his elect are regenerated. His his elect are given a new heart, a new mind. And guess what that new heart and new mind does? It believes the gospel. It repents and is converted. And what is um, the next Uh, logical and even temporal step I guess you could say in the order of salutis when somebody repents and believes in the gospel what's the next step in the process of our salvation? What does God do next when somebody repents and believes? Justification. Justification is what God does. When you believe the gospel God declares you to be righteous. That's good news. He does that based on faith alone apart from works. And then before sanctification, we looked at the next step, which is adoption. Everyone who's been justified and has been declared righteous by God is adopted into God's family. And from there, the next step is what we're looking at now, which is uh, known as sanctification. The process by which God conforms us to the image of Christ and works on us, makes us more and more holy. (coughs) Sanctification. Let me just remind you of the definition before we move on. Uh, Wayne Grudem uh, defines sanctification as this. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So in short, I just say it's it's the process by which God, in initiating a work in us, whereby we become more and more like Christ. Um, we looked at that last week, and last week we really spent the majority of our time differentiating, and I thought this was important enough to do this, but... We spent the most of our time differentiating between justification and sanctification. We spent a lot of time making the distinctions uh, between those two categories in our salvation because you cannot confuse these. Um, you, can, you can fall into a tragic error uh, by confusing these categories. Uh, as far as your justification is concerned, as far as um, coming to that place where God declares you to be righteous, that is something that is done by faith alone. Uh, completely excluding any works of mankind. See, justification completely excludes works where um, following our justification, where our sanctification begins, uh, there is much work to be done as far as your sanctification is concerned. And so um, I just want you guys not to really have any false dichotomies in your mind as it relates to um, the grace of God that justifies you right and justification as opposed to the grace of god that sanctifies you wherein there is much work on our part that is to be done you just must have those things clear in your mind and so really because we really devoted almost the whole class to that last week from this point forward i'm really just kind of going to assume unless you have any questions of course on on the issue but i'm really just going to assume that you understand the distinctions between Uh, the category of justification and sanctification, right? So as we go on to talk about all of the works that God requires of us and the work that it is to be more more and more holy, you understand that I'm not saying this is in any sense the basis of your justification or the basis for your right standing before God. We're beyond that in the work of salvation. Okay, we're in the category of sanctification. So um, I thought what I'd do... Here, as we begin, is point out uh, maybe some of the highlights of what we're going to look at today. What do I want to cover? First, we're going to look at some of the biblical words that are used, um, some of the biblical language that's used in the Bible um, to speak to the the reality and the concept of sanctification. We'll look at some Old Testament words, some New Testament words. Um, What else will we look at here? Oh, yeah, I'm going to draw... We didn't get to this last week. I'm going to draw the chart that Wayne Grudem has in his systematic theology, a chart that I, I wish I would have drawn it already, so it would be pretty, but I'm going to draw the chart that just gives us a picture of what we're talking about when we, when we discuss sanctification and the process of, of us becoming more and more holy. I'm going to draw a helpful picture for you all that's, that's helped me understand um, the topic. Um, we're also going to distinguish between a couple aspects of sanctification today, I want to cover what uh, uh, definitive sanctification is, positional sanctification, as opposed to progressive sanctification. I just mentioned those two distinctions last week. You really need to cover them. So that's what we're planning on doing today. Um, who knows how far we'll get, but we're in no hurry. We, we we want this to be a time for you guys to be able to interact, ask questions. Um, we are in no hurry. So don't feel like you're hurting my feelings by raising your hand. You're not. Um, that's... We're really here for you guys. So um, as we talk about the biblical concept of sanctification in the Bible, and, and uh, I just said this. I said that um, the concept of holiness is derived from the being of God. That's where this concept comes from. Holiness is a characteristic of God. See, and so um, the, what I said would end up being really a main text for the concept of sanctification was 1 Peter 1.15. I'll just read it to you. You remember Peter said, you shall be holy for I am holy. See the, see the connection there between God's holiness and what he's calling us to be? We're to be holy as he is holy. Um, so I just wanted to point out the reality, and it is a reality, it is true, that as much as we can share in holiness, in God's holiness, uh, sanctification and holiness is a communicable attribute of God. It is a communicable attribute of God. It's okay to say that you are becoming holy as God is holy. That's right, and that's good. What do I mean by using the language of communicable attribute? What does that mean? That, that holiness is a communicable attribute. Yes, sir? It's, it's been given to us. Yeah, it's, it's shared. It's an attribute of God that he shares with us. It's an attribute of God uh, that, that we can share and be like him uh, to some degree, right? We're not holy as God is holy. That's our aim, um, that's our goal. But um, in that sense, holiness, what we're talking about is an attribute of God that we can actually partake in and share in and be like Christ in this sense. So in that sense, it's a glorious. Sanctification is, is us being more like God, which is, is, it should be a desired thing for the Christian. We want to be like God because He is good, because He is righteous. Yes, one. Would you say
1: that holiness and sanctification... Are-
0: Synonymous terms. Uh Yeah, we're about to look at that because right now we're going to look at some of the the language that the Bible uses for the subject that we're talking about. Okay, so maybe we should start with the Old Testament, right? That makes sense. Um, John, don't laugh at me as I write this word here. um, Of course, I'm writing what is known as a transliteration. Transliteration, that's not Hebrew um, alphabet there. That's English because, unfortunately, in my sanctification, that's all I have. I have not Hebrew yet. Um, but Kadesh. Kadesh is a Hebrew word. You have Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh. They're all derivatives of the word. Uh, Kadash is what I wrote here, which is the verbal form of the word. Um, but that word means... Uh, it's the word used for, for sanctification or to be set apart or be holy right? all those synonymous terms all the derivatives of this word uh, make up that word group in the Old Testament um, what, what really the, the root of this word right here Burkhoff says uh, denotes the meaning of it, it, it's to cut to cut so when you cut something you separate it off Right? So so really the, the etymology of this word goes back to the most basic meaning of of cod, which is to cut, to separate. And that's really where, you know, that's kind of what we're saying when we're talking about God's holiness. He's separate, he's other. Right? He he's apart from fallen mankind. And so that's all the derivatives of this word are are, are having to do with that idea of being separate and different. When it comes to holiness, we're talking about separate and holy and different in righteousness and purity. We're separate and different in that sense. So um, I'll just read to you one verse and we'll turn to another. Genesis 2.3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That's a derivative of that word. He sanctified the seventh day. He set it apart. He made it, the ESV translated, made it holy. See how that word is used? Um, turn to Exodus chapter 40, verse 9. And I'm going to give you a little test from this, from this verse, Exodus chapter 40, verse 9. I'm not nervous, it's just really hot. <laughs>
1: Exodus
0: chapter 40, verse 9. See if you can spot the two words that are translated um, from the word we're studying here in the Old Testament, Kadesh. Kadesh from Exodus chapter 40, verse 9. I'll read it and see if you can spot the two words that are based on the reality of being separate. It says, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, uh, the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it shall be holy. What two words do you think are coming from the, the meaning of Kadesh that we talked about? Jonathan... Consecrate and holy that 's right those those two translations in English are coming from the same root words that we 're talking about here. To consecrate means to set something apart um, in the Old Testament. This word group is predominantly used of the items used in the tabernacle for worship I mean just most commonly that 's when it gets used. It's talking about when God says to anoint something, to anoint it with oil and set it apart for his use in the tabernacle, which is where the worship was happening. That's predominantly how this word group is used, um, just, just simply numbers-wise. Um, it's, it's, it's predominantly used of the things in the tabernacle. But in Leviticus 28, uh, chapter 20, verse 8, it's also used of people where God says, you shall keep my statutes and practice them I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So there, God is using—I mean, God's using the same word group to speak of people now, where He's separating people for His purposes. Here in Leviticus chapter twenty, verse eight, He's saying, by keeping His statutes, by these laws that God was giving to the people of Israel, He was setting them apart from the nations through the, through these laws and through these statutes that He was giving them. So, in that sense, God was setting apart His people and, and calling them to be holy. Um, so that's predominantly the Old Testament usage. Um, here's a New Testament word. Um, and this one I can actually write. Hagios. Hagios. That means, well, we translate that word predominantly holy. Or or we use it when we talk about sanctification. To be, write it out like in uh, English. What would that be? You probably, uh, you might give it an H because this gives it the H sound. Um. Hagias. Does that make it easier? I don't know. You can kind of see it, right? Hagias and even in Greek, it's, it's similar. Um, but we translate this word in the New Testament predominantly to sanctifier, to make holy. Um, it has the same basic meaning as Kadesh, to separate, to separate to be holy. And as you might imagine, this language of being sanctified or set apart to be holy in the Old Testament, with the temple being there, its predominant usage was setting articles apart to be holy and used for God's worship. In the New Testament, uh, the, temple is, the temple is gone. Uh, setting things apart for the use in the temple or the tabernacle is, is done with, with the coming of Christ. So this word predominantly is used in the New Testament to speak of us, to speak of people, and how God is setting apart a people uh, to be holy, to be separate. Uh, that's predominantly how the, the word is used now. I'm going to give you another test from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. See if you can spot the two different words that are both uh, coming from the root word hagios. This word that we're talking about, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Sounds like everybody's there. It says this To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Which two words do you think are the derivatives of Hagios? Uh, that meaning of to be separate, to be made separate, to be holy. Yes, sir? Uh,
1: sanctified saints.
0: You got it. That's right. Both of those are coming from the same idea, the same word. To be sanctified. And to be saints, Uh, to be sanctified at your conversion, you're set apart in one sense. We're going to talk about that's part of your definitive sanctification. When God sets you apart, because you've been set apart, he now refers to you and sees you as a saint. A saint. See? That's what you're called now, a saint. I just wanted, I, I actually wanted to make a point on that, is that the New Testament, this is how the New Testament refers to believers, as saints, the New Testament does not refer to believers as sinners. You think you have any ideas, maybe why that is? Maybe why we don't see Paul uh, writing to the church in <coughs> Corinth, uh, "Dear sinners, you know, uh, grace and peace to you." Yeah, sinners of Corinth. No, that's not the language used uh, of believers. It's saints, and it's for the. It's because of the doctrine that we're studying right now that God has set apart a of people for Himself. Um, Your saints. I think you're called saints for several different reasons, but I think just based on that reality, uh, it should it should really bring home the the, the truth that the Christian, the, the true regenerate believer, is not to be someone who uh, predominantly sins and rarely does good. Right? That is not that doesn't jive with Paul's description or, or, or what he calls us as saints. We should be those who who will sin, who do sin, but we predominantly live a life that the banner over the Christian life should not be sin. Amen. The banner over our life should be holiness and godliness and sanctification. And so that's why Paul can call us saints and he doesn't refer to us you know, as sinners. Uh, we should not be known as sinners. I think just recognizing this, right, referring to yourself as a saint, if you have been set apart by God and you have been saved, I think this protects you uh, maybe from from one thing that I think can happen is that um, if if you think of yourself as a sinner in that sense, and and I'm going to qualify that because I do call myself a sinner, but if you think of yourself as predominantly that, as a sinner, I think when you sin, which we all will and all do, you're just going to have the natural tendency just to chalk that up to just, well, that's just another, just another, I'm a sinner, so I sin. You know, we should not be comfortable with our sin, right? That's it. I just think that even in my own heart, that we can, we can chalk it up to, hey, well, we're sinners, you know. That's what we are, you know, and just and just be too easy and comfortable with our sin. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm not really sure why the
2: Catholic priests and you know the whole Catholicism, like they ordain uh, saints. Saints. Is it that they think? that they're just better than
0: the average person that walks inside the church? In a sense. I'm saying, in a sense, to be a saint in a Roman Catholic church, you have to have done a miracle. Right? That's a requirement of being a saint. So in one sense, there's another level in Roman Catholicism of a saint. And that's, that's really a terrible error because what we're saying is every believer is a saint, is called a saint. They've obviously just given that word a different meaning or some sense or a high or different well, category. Right. supposed to be a saint, but you have to, to get some benefits. Right. Yeah. Insurance and everything. Yeah. 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 Yes, sir?
2: Well, also, the word hagios is in the New Testament Greek. It's never singular. It's only plural. Wow. It's always referring to the church, never referring to one person.
0: Good point. Yeah, so collectively we are to be known as saints, right? Yes, sir?
2: It kind of goes along with my question. Uh, in the Septuagint, is Kadesh and Hagias
0: interchangeable in that sense? Yeah, Hagias is the Greek translation of Kadesh, right? So, yeah, that's right. Um, what other, besides these two words that we talked about, Kadesh, Hagias, or even the translations of those two words, besides... Sanctification, holiness, what other New Testament concepts or words are used in the New Testament you think that would fall under the category of sanctification? So when you're reading your Bible, let's say you go home and you, man, I really want to really work on my sanctification, like Pastor Chris was saying. You know, I really want to be a doer of the Word. And you're reading through your Bible, what categories, what other language might um, catch your eye that would have to do with sanctification? I would
2: say salvation.
0: Salvation, of salvation in general? Yeah, fruit of yeah, fruit, yeah maybe. maybe. Fruit of the Spirit? I think that's that's probably a little more closer like what I'm what I'm getting at. Salvation is such a big... Right. The ordo salutis is salvation. That's right. everything. We're talking about the one aspect in that whole thing. Chris, did you have a raise your hand? Um, it, the word washed. Washed, um, yep. Which, Brought to mind, First Corinthians six eleven, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were
2: justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God.
0: If you want to stick your finger there, we're going to be there in like probably two minutes. But yes, that's right. The wash, the concept of being washed, being made clean. Any other concepts? Doers of the word. Doers of the word. Growing in grace. Growing. Yeah, that's right. Conforming. That's what I'm talking about. All of that language that speaks of this process that we're going through, we're becoming more and more holy. That's what I just wanted to like put that in your mind that you don't only have to see the word holy or sanctified. The concept is all over the Bible. Um, so that's right. I put works, deeds, obedience, um, carrying your cross, um, all these things that the Bible speaks to of the process of our of our life. So now, I'm going to dare to draw this chart for us. Um, I will have the D kids watching for laughter. <laughs> Make sure I draw this thing right. I really should have drawn this before class. Um, let's see how it goes. You'll get the idea. Okay. That's a rough, very rough sketch here of what we're talking about. But what I'm drawing, what I'm drawing here is the whole process of our sanctification. Um, There's there's a couple events, significant events that happen here in our salvation as far as sanctification is concerned. We'll just outline it as three points. Right here, this number one is your conversion. You notice a a significant jump there in this line that's representing your sanctification. See that jump there at conversion? Note that. This is your life. And this is your death. Um, I think this is a helpful chart. Not all charts to me when I study books are helpful. Like, I'm going through Graham Goldsworthy's Biblical Theology, right? A little introduction to biblical theology. And as helpful as that book, as insightful as it is, he's got graphs in there, and I have no idea how the graph relates to what I just read in any way. You know, sometimes graphs aren't helpful. But this one, I've had this graph in my mind um, ever since I first saw it. And it's always been helpful for me um, in thinking about the progress that should be happening in our lives as a result of sanctification. So I'm just going to actually leave that up there, and we're going to reference this as we go through the process of sanctification. You see there's three, three points here. Definitive sanctification, which occurs at your conversion. We're going to talk about that right now. But then after that, there's a progressive sanctification. See those two distinctions there? Um, so let's get into that. The best summary I could find... Uh, in describing uh, definitive sanctification or positional sanctification actually comes from the Heritage Grace doctrinal statement. So would everybody please pull out their doctrinal statements for... <laughs> I know you don't have that in your pocket. Um, let me read it to you, because I think this was very helpful. It says this, We teach that there are two distinct aspects of sanctification. The two distinct aspects are definitive sanctification and progressive The first one being, or we're calling it positional here, positional sanctification, and the second one being progressive. We teach that every believer is sanctified or set apart unto God by justification and is therefore declared to be holy and is identified as a saint. Don't let the language of justification throw you off. We can can work that out. Um, this sanctification is positional and instantaneous, having to do with the believer standing, not his present walk or condition, and should not be confused with progressive sanctification. Any questions? I know it's a pretty long definition of what we're talking about, but yes or one?
1: When I think of definitive, sanct- definitive sanctification, mm-hmm. should I think that that's solely God's
0: part? Yes. Yes, you should. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and in the order salutus that Emilio had up in the first place, definitive sanctification is a monergistic act of God. Right? That's what we categorize it as. It's a work that God does. When you believe, um, God does a definitive work in your life instantaneously when you believe, and you are changed. Um, See this line right here? Boom. The rest of your walk is more... uh, struggle, long, drawn out, but there is a definitive work in your life at the moment of your conversion. That's what we're talking about. Yes, sir? Is that synonymous then with with like a right standing and justification, like a
1: definitive sanctification and justification?
0: So that's what we need to clarify. Um, Let's clarify that because uh, I almost in my mind even think about definitive and positional sanctification separately. I even break that category down in a sense. Because even in our doctrinal statement, as we refer to justification, what happens to justification? God positionally declares you to be righteous. Have you actually become more righteous in justification? Justification is just a uh, judicial statement by God. It's not based on how holy you actually have become, right? It's just clearly a declaration by God positional sanctification is synonymous with that in that God now sees you and calls you a saint irregardless of how far you've actually come in your actual sanctification you are now classified and called a saint you see Um, that's the positional aspect of your sanctification Um, remember that text that we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 you can kind of just hear it in that language. I have it right here. It says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, past tense. So we're talking about something that happened in the past that was a definitive act that God did, that he's using the language, that, that, that language of of, Hagios, of of saint, of being sanctified, but it's something that occurred in the past that was definitive. Okay? And, and there's a positional aspect of that where it's something that God is declaring about you. It's something that God is doing. You haven't really done anything yet. right? You believe the gospel and all this happened to you that God did. Um, so, yes, sir?
2: So, I love analogies yes. for whatever reason. <clears throat> would the justification being declared right before God, would that be analogous to like, Say the governor pardoning someone on death row, even though they actually did commit the crime.
0: Okay, but now they no longer are under the judgment of that of that penalty. Mm-hmm. Whereas the positional sanctification, or th- that would be like the governor. You know, if he had the power to to declare, you're actually a good person. Right. Yeah, I think there's a distinction in that that you're making, mm-hmm. right? That. In reality, it's kind of hard to separate them because in reality, you actually have been made a saint, right? That's why he's able to call you that because there actually has been a change. But just the language of now even being able to be called a saint, even though you haven't progressed through sanctification yet, is what we're talking about when we're saying positional sanctification. Hopefully you don't stumble over that, you know, by getting positional sanctification and progressive sanctification confused. Um, Yes, sir.
1: When I think, again, of definitive sanctification, can yeah. I think of it in terms of, like, I will be at number three because God has said I will be at number three eventually, in reality?
0: um, I don't know that I would go there because the reality is already here by what God has done monergistically. The reality is already here at conversion that you are a saint.
1: Right.
0: It's not like I'm going to be a saint.
1: Right? Well, well not to say I'm going to be a saint, but that My nature will...
0: Now you're getting to the root, the root of the issue. You have a new nature, right? So what I'm saying is almost you could see it like this. At conversion, say this is the point where you believe, right here. Instantaneously, you are now in a new category of of human being. You are now a saint, okay? But in that same instance something else actually happened to you when you got saved. If you think about the Ordo Salutis, what occurred that brought about your belief in Christ? Regeneration. So not only am I confusing you by using the word justification, I'm also going to hopefully not confuse you by using the word regeneration, but the, the, the realities overlap. When you're regenerated and you're given a new heart and a new mind, you are actually changed in real life. At the moment you believe, you are regenerated, and I believe that's what causes that jump in sanctification, actual sanctification, which I would put in the smaller category of definitive sanctification. There was a definitive change in your life the moment you believed of actual uh, sanctification and holiness to some degree. Yes, sir? Well, yeah,
2: that's that's, uh, synonymous, I think, with what theologians would call that there has been a break with sin. Yes, uh, a once-for-all once break with sin. That's right. A definitive break with sin doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but there has been uh, a very uh, definitive initial uh, break with the old man, right, and the Amen. old life, and the old way, and, and it issues forth in the new man, the life of the new man. So there's Amen. definitely a definitive break in with sin. Anymore. I think we're thinking a lot yes. more of like, okay, what happens inside of us, right? But, yes. but, but definitive sanctification also has to do with what happens, I guess, in terms of our life, our surrounding, our lifestyle, you know? Yes.
0: Um, yeah. Because in time, we, nothing's really happened in time yet. You haven't had time to right. do anything, but you have been changed. Yes, sir.
2: So, so, so don't kind of like our Oh, mind sorry.
0: sorry. sorry. <laughs> There's two hands right there. Chris, go ahead, and then Scott.
2: So, so is, it, is it like saying, it, 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 at the point of definitive sanctification, your mind being set so on flesh, your mind being set so on spirit? Yes. It's like Romans 8 talks so. about Yes. So definitive would be, the, the I guess what you could say with definitive is, at that point of regeneration, God has immediately set you apart for himself. Yes. And then the progressive would be an eventual changing of, uh, continued changing that would draw up, get you, I guess you, you could say... Yes. Closer to the Lord because yes. you're starting to move away from those things that one time separated you from God. Your life has been changed.
0: Yeah. that's exactly right. Exactly right, Marshall. I saw you first. Go ahead.
2: Uh, I want to uh,
1: kind of elaborate on what Chris was saying. Yeah, like the converging um, from that jump to life mm-hmm. um, when you start with. Like working out Working out to salvation Yes And like what Chris was saying um, When you uh, Like uh, The government um, You know the government Mm -hmm. You know Like when you work out to salvation You know It's like you have been granted a point Mm -hmm. You know And now you're free yeah, you understand what I'm saying? No,
0: that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, that's what we're you know, talking about.
1: You, you know, already worked out your salvation, like you are in prison and you know, already like did your time and worked out yourself, did your hard labor or whatever. Right. Uh, and you still got more time to do, but the government sees that, you know, hey, you know, you've been, you been doing good in prison, you know, oh. you did this and you did that. Uh, he considered you uh, you know uh, could be react, uh, you know, good yeah in, in society again.
0: there's nothing wrong with saying and this is the distinction I was trying to make by clarifying between justification and sanctification there's nothing wrong with saying you are, you are becoming better you are becoming more like Christ you have put in work and your actual righteousness has grown you have actually become better, and the government recognizes it and lets you free. Right? But that's not the... It could be confusing with the analogy because that's not the basis of our entrance into heaven or anything like that. But we are actually uh, becoming more righteous, and it actually is recognized by God and man, I believe. Right? So that, the analogy, as far as that's concerned, would, would hold.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, it's so tricky, but even with the language of, you know, actual righteousness, we have to make a distinction, right, of, we're not speaking about your righteousness in the realm of justification. That is, right. that is a settled, once-for-all, past tense thing. Yep. There's nothing continuous or present tense about our justification, right. other than the state that we're in. Yep. Right. So, the, yep. so maybe we, we could say we're 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 actually becoming, we're growing in our
0: practical <clears throat> righteousness. Right. Practical righteousness. Yeah, you understand the distinction? That's what I'm saying we don't want to have any confusion on. At the point of conversion, you are justified and you are given the righteousness of Christ, which could not be any more righteous. You, you have that perfection upon justification. right? That's given to you by God. When I say actual righteousness, yeah, like Emilio was saying, practical righteousness that you're actually able to uh, arrive to. Are you raising your hand back there, Carlos? Yes, yes sir. sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. I thought you were telling me to <laughs> smile. I thought you were telling me to smile for the camera.
1: Yeah. No, um, yeah. uh, I'm going to quote somebody, and I'm sure half okay. of you guys will know who I'm quoting here. But if you don't have a new relationship with sin, you don't have a new relationship with Christ.
2: Amen.
0: Paul Washer. Paul Washer. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Washer, of course. Yeah, that's a that's a true statement. Um, I was wanting to oh, ask yeah, something about Romans 8 yeah. um, in relation to that with the golden chain of redemption. Mm. I think um, it really kind of brings out the definitive sanctification um, yeah, and, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be com- conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called and
2: these whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified. Um, would definitive sanctification be in the in the same realm of saying that God sees us as glorified?
0: In past, oh, interesting! Using that almost kind of like what Juan was saying, yeah. right? Like recognizing the fact that if justification has happened, glorification is going to happen with the assumption, I believe, that sanctification in between there is happening as exactly. well.
1: Because you're saying that, meaning, yeah, definitive is all God doing right yes yes of, that part of
0: sanctification yes yeah we don't take a part in our sanctification until this progressive working out of our all this that is happening is the monergistic part that God has done go ahead Brad. are there varying degrees of uh, definitive sanctification given Ooh. how high does that line go for some people that's a good question bro um, I haven't actually thought about that but um, okay. To to what level of grace that God gives? I mean, at regeneration, when we talk about a new heart, Isn't um, like
2: what varying degrees of deadness are you before you made alive? Right, life? right, right. You're fully
0: alive, right? You're fully alive. I don't know that the Bible makes any distinctions between the amount of regeneration. Right, that somebody it's either like dead or alive, right? Black or white, experientially. I can, I can, I can see people. Who um, are just man totally different and you hear stories about people who maybe more so progressively is as far as you're being made alive i think that's the same for everyone now as far as progressive sanctification that's gonna a lot of factors are coming into this line many factors um you know to how much of the word are you exposed to 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 the means of grace are you exposed to your you know your environment actually all those things are going to affect how you grow Here, Emilio, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. What would you say? Is anyone more regenerate than anyone else? I don't know that I would use the
2: word regenerate, but what he
0: asked was definitive sanctification. Yes.
2: So we're not talking about imparting.
0: Regeneration is the, the act of imparting
2: new life. Yes. Right? Definitive sanctification is speaking about the quality of that life. Yes. So what I'm saying is that it's possible that some are more that you can see a, 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 a greater uh, how would we put it that the definitive sanctification that some undergo mm-hmm. could be more intense than others. Mm-hmm. For example the Apostle Paul because of his understanding of the Old Testament when he was converted we could say in a sense that his definitive sanctification was greater because his understanding was greater, his light was greater. Right. And in that sense he he had a much deeper grasp of the implications of his new life in Christ. So right. in a sense, maybe epistemologically, you can't have meaning your knowledge, right? You can't right. have a greater degree of definitive sanctification. So we're not talking about uh We're not talking so much about quality, right? We all experience the same quality of definitive sanctification, the setting of heart. But we experience it maybe to a different quantity. That could vary. Mm -hmm. Good
0: with that? Yeah. It's a good example, right? Paul is a good example. Yeah, yes sir, John.
2: Is, Is part of the struggle that we're having here in the class the fact that sanctification, one, is part of a larger work and not only is this larger work it's, we, in one sense we say it's all of God but in another sense we say that there's things that man has to do and it's, mm-hmm. it's part of the struggle that we're having putting these categories in our minds and, yeah. and not blending these lines but yeah. there's there's a sense in which the lines are blended in our minds Yeah. well in reality
0: I would say I, like even like we could talk about how justification overlaps you know um, positional sanctification and regeneration does affect and is the cause of you know, this definitive sanctification. So the realities do overlap. You know, the categories do in some sense overlap. So that can make it kind of hard because we like nice, clean, right. you know. And that's what the world of Solus is trying to help you with. It's trying to categorize in nice, clean categories. Um, so I thought this was the hardest one as I studied in defining and distinguishing positional, and, 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 uh, positional sanctification there. I can see the struggle. I like the verse. Let's turn to the verse that Chris did bring up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Hopefully you guys are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This context where it begins in verse 9 where it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then you have what is known as a vice list by the Apostle Paul where he lists out many um, categories of sins that um, because they're overriding sins and obviously unrepentant sins in the lives of these people, he can say you are not saved. You are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But from there in verse 11 he says to the Corinthians, he says, but such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justified. See those two words going right next to each other. We're going to That's interesting. He says all these things were done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So what I want to point out from that text is the reality that with positional sanctification, he says past tense in the aorist tense, boom, you were sanctified. But notice what's happening right along with that positional sanctification look at just the timing because he includes justification which we know has happened here so that's the timing that we're talking about here when you were justified you were sanctified you were set apart positionally in the sense we've been talking about with positional sanctification but then notice this transition here that he also includes that begins this work that this 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 actual work the 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 language that chris brought up of washing that's where I think the link is with the discussion of regeneration. It's an actual washing of cleansing, a changing work that God does inside of you that actually changes you. Not just positionally, but actually um, changes you. In, in, and it is, we are talking about the language of having a new nature. Yes, sir, I see you again. Can you fill
2: with the Holy
0: Spirit? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's right. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think the Titus text, I have it here. Titus 3.5 says this. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's attributed with this work. Um, but just listen to the language. The washing of regeneration and renewing. You are going from spiritual deadness, which is what this, everything below this category is, your slavery to sin that's just floundering around in self-righteousness and trying to be good, right? But none of this is pleasing God. All of this is under the category of slavery to sin. You're not in any sense pleasing God. But boom, upon conversion, you are washed. You are renewed. And you are actually changed where now, you are in the category of, of holiness and, and sanctification. And you are now called a saint because of that work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So um, I think that 1 Corinthians 6 text is helpful. Um, regeneration and sanctification certainly are to be distinguished, but there is an overlap in the reality of what's happening inside of you. At the moment you believe, sanctification, boom, has begun. You actually had nothing to do with it. You haven't done anything, but God, by the Holy Spirit, has monergistically sanctified you and and made you more holy. Um, We're going to have to stop there just because of time. We didn't get to progressive sanctification. Emilio, I can have another week. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, that's fine. So... (laughs) Um, yeah, next week we'll, belong, we'll begin. I know this is where everybody wants to get. That's what Cassie's telling me. I, just want, I, need to get to the, I need to know how to do this. Hurry up and get to the good stuff. But as we said before, everything that we're living out in our life is based on the theology of what God has done. We need to recognize that and understand that. And that's what we're going to be working from, from what God has graciously done for us. Um, that's the foundation for all of this. So um, look forward to that then. Look forward to getting to the hard stuff. Right, This is everything God did. This is where the work for us begins. And we'll, we'll start looking at that next week. So let's pray. We, we do have time to pray. Let's pray and go to service. Well, Father, um, Father, I can only thank you, God, for the grace of being set apart. God, none of us in this room deserve to be set apart. None of us deserve to be called and regenerated and given a new heart. God, none of us deserved or were even seeking after this new life that you've given us. So God, we have you alone to thank and you alone to praise. God, I pray that we would think on this, Lord, as we go to um, open our service with songs to you, Lord, that that we would have a joy in our hearts that overflows into song and that our hearts would be prepared to hear from you, that we would be ready to be quiet and hear from you and submit to your word, God, and that we'd be changed and we be changed and more joyous of recognizing the great high priest that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, bless our service. In Jesus' name, amen.